Hello again and welcome to Heart and Soul, playing the music of the church throughout the ages from ancient hymns and songs to today's modern Christian music. Presenting your host for today, Carla Evans. Welcome once again to our weekly feast of hymns and songs of the church throughout the ages. Today we'll hear from our speaker, David Evans, and a little later with music from Wonderful Words of Life. We start our journey today in that land of song, Wales, with a Triorchy male voice choir, a choir based in Triorchy in the Rhonda Valley in Wales. Choirs have existed in the Rhonda Valley for more than 150 years, and Triorchy is one of the best known from the area. Here they are with Now Thank We All Our God. Forever 
the day Your tender mercy Always calling from behind At times I could not see Even though you were close by American singer-songwriter, pastor and producer of Christian worship music, Don Moen, with a song called Lord You Are Good. You're with heart and soul, the music of the church throughout the ages. Now to a request from a listener in Tasmania. Let's hear the hymn, He Leadeth Me, sung to us by a choir from the Hymns from the Heart series. You're with heart and soul across Australia.
was the Collingsworth family with My Wonderful Lord. This is Heart and Soul, the music of the church throughout the ages. The composer of the words of our feature hymn today spoke some very faith-filled words the day he died. His last words were, 
Now I am going to begin to live. Thomas Toke Lynch, a minister, was born in 1818 at Dunmow, Essex in England, the son of a doctor. He pastored at Highgate and churches in London from 1849 to 1856. He was then incapacitated by illness for three years, but starting in 1860 and for the rest of his life, he served on Gower Street and in Hampstead Road, London. It is probably because Lynch experienced a long period of sickness that he leaned heavily on his faith, like one would lean on a star for a long journey. My faith, it is an oaken star, became one of Lynch's best-loved hymns, and we hear it today from an English choir. Standing tall 
carry me And I know I'm heaven blessed You are there when I most need you You are there so constantly You come shining through You always do Jones, Welsh singer and oft-times host of the BBC programme Songs of Praise, sang You Are There, a song of trust in the Lord. This is Heart and Soul, the music of the Church throughout the ages. I'm Carla Evans. So glad to be with you today. Let's travel to Bradford in England now and from the Bradford Youth Choir the hymn I Am His Child.
Music praise then with a great worship song in Christ alone. This is Heart and Soul. Thanks for joining us.
Don Marsh and his chorus then with Fairest Lord Jesus on Heart and Soul. Now it's time for our speaker, the Reverend David Evans, to bring the word. Thank you, David. Thank you, Carla. When Saul of Tarsus was smitten with blindness on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to expand his Jerusalem violence towards Christians further. The Lord Jesus intercepted him, and he ended up in a room in the house of one Judas, blind, not knowing what his future would bring. In the meantime, the Lord instructed Ananias to go and bring sight to Saul. Well, when Ananias protested that Saul had done great harm to the church, the Lord told him that this man would be shown how much he was to suffer for the Lord's name. When you read through the book of Acts and follow the ministry and journeys of Saul, who became Paul, it's a tale of Saul becoming Paul. The name Saul means asked for or inquired of God. It also means prayed for. The name Paul means small or humble in Latin. You know, I wondered about the significance of this name change. And I think that it's true to say that it's twofold. It has two meanings in Paul's character. Firstly, the name Saul is of Hebrew origin, whereas the name Paul is of Gentile origin. Could it not mean that the name change was a pointer to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles instead of the Jews? Was the Lord saying, Saul, I'm going to give you a Gentile name so that your mission can be identified by your name? It's also interesting that the Lord has a hidden name for us, for us all, which will be revealed one day. And you can read about that in Revelation 3 and verse 12 and Revelation 2:17. Haven't time to comment on that at this time. Then secondly, the change of name has always meant the emergence of a new nature. Jacob became Israel, Simon became Peter, and so on. And the change of Saul to Paul was also prophetic, meaning that the idea in the name Paul meant Saul becoming humble or small in his own sight, and this would happen through the things that he would suffer. When he spoke about his thorn in the flesh in Corinthians, he said that it was given to him so that he would not be exalted in his own sight and because of the abundance of revelation that was given to him. You know, there are many people in God's Word and many people who came out of the Word of God uh, who made a difference in life. I have a whole list of them, but haven't time to talk about all of them. In fact, haven't got time to be expansive on any of them. But think of people like Noah, who, despite a strange assignment and the likely ridicule of his neighbours, obeyed God and built the boat that would preserve life on earth. Joseph, despite numerous personal tragedies, became the preserver and protector of the fledgling nation of Israel. Moses, despite a sense of inadequacy, became the liberator, lawgiver, and leader of the Israelites. Deborah, despite being a woman, an unrespected position in her day, led God's people to victory over their enemies. And then what about old Gideon? Despite great fear and overwhelming odds, led the Israelites in defeating their Midianite oppressors. Peter, despite a history of painful public failures, became the most visible and vocal leader of the early church. Then Mary Magdalene, despite once being possessed by seven demons, became a faithful follower of Jesus and told the disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. You also, dear friend, have made a difference somewhere along the line in your life. And the Lord was true to his word about Paul's sufferings. We know that. The great man was hammered out on the anvil of God and moulded by the fingers of the divine potter. I believe the meaning of his thorn in the flesh was his being opposed by his own people consistently and those who perverted the gospel by adding legalism to the simplicity of Paul's message. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It was all bound to end up in the Jews agitating for his death when he went to Jerusalem. And you'll remember how Paul appealed as a Roman citizen directly to Caesar for judgment, and they sent him off by ship to Rome. It was proved to be a very long journey, ending up in a shipwreck on the way. But when you read an account of it in Acts chapter 27, Luke has a running commentary of the drama that unfolded for the ship's complement, including Paul. The year was 59 AD, the month was October, a very marginal time to travel, 
and actually sailing was doubtful even in September due to overcast weather which prevented them from following the stars in their navigation and by November it was impossible to travel. Well, as we read, as we go on and read, we find that uh, Paul had given advice not to leave their harbour but to wait late to leave later. But of course there were those who thought they knew better and they decided that they would push on. And Luke's accuracy in describing the details of the voyage is one of the best descriptions of ancient seafaring we have. Well, the storm came in gigantic proportion and continued 14 days during which they saw neither sun nor stars. The violent battering from the storm culminated in their losing control of their boat as they were driven along. The ship was caught up into the storm. Well, if you read the account of it in Acts 27, from verse 13 down to verse 26, you get a classic example of uh, the Lord and his servant standing in the gap, as it were, as the ship gets into trouble. There were three phrases in what Paul had to say when it looked like the ship was really going to sink and all the lives would be lost. The first two are in verse 23 where he said, For last night an angel of God, the God whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. Note those words, God whose I am and whom I serve. Notice whose I am comes before whom I serve. You know something, our service to Christ must always spring out of our relationship with him and not the other way round. I need to remember that when I'm heavy with inadequacy and uncertainty, who I am in Christ comes before what I do for Christ. God the Father said he was well pleased with Jesus before Jesus ever performed a public miracle. Identity supersedes activity every time. Remember that the next time you feel like you don't have what it takes to do what God has called you to do and let what you do flow from who you are. That's the big reason why over the years many people have heard about the identity that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've preached that consistently in my own ministry, letting us know who we really are because the devil wants to rob us of our identity and make us feel less than what we are. Now, if we reverse the order and prioritize service over identity, we come into the category of those who will come to him for rewards on the basis of what they have done and not on the basis of their relationship with Christ. Remember that uh, passage where the Lord says, Many shall come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done miracles in your name? And then the Lord says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. The relationship angle was missing. It was all about what you did, what you could do for me. Satan can oppose and even negate your service, but when you are assured of your identity, he can never rob you of that. When you are secure in your knowledge of who you are because you've come to Christ and you've been born again, your service will come from that and you will be fruitful. So the first phrase of importance is, whose I am. The second is, whom I serve. But there's a third one in verse 25. So take courage, said Paul, to those that were fearful that they would drown, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. It's not, I believe in God. The devils do that and tremble, says James. No, it is, I believe God. I believe his word. I believe his promises, because every promise in the book is ours. As it turned out, the ship was lost, but not one life was lost, and they landed safely. How many promises, be it through prophecy or through the anointing of a Rema scripture, have been given to us over the years? How long does a test take? Is there a time when one is sorely tested over a long period of time, and yet in the midst of the Lord tarrying over the fulfillment of a promise, can we pick up Paul's third affirmation, I believe God. It's what can keep you going, friend. One of the definitions of the word faith is using each of the letters of the word to bring out its best meaning. F stands for forsaking, A stands for all, I stands for I, T stands for trust, and H stands for him. In other words, forsaking all, I trust him. One of the things we forsake is our doubts. Forsaking all our doubts, all our fears, we just trust him. I believe God. Can you say that today? 
I love the old promise of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 that was given to me as a Sunday school student. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Listen to the words of the chorus of the old hymn, Yield Not to Temptation. Ask the Saviour to help you, comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Whose I am speaks of his ownership. We have been bought with a price. Who I serve speaks of the work for him that only comes out of that relationship. And I believe God. Who else is there that will never let you down? Go forth into the future in the knowledge that as a son or daughter of God, you are called to victory and all his promises will come to pass. Hallelujah. May God bless you. And if you'd like to write to us, please do so. We'll give you the address at the end of the program. And you're listening to Heart and Soul, hosted by my good friend, Carla Evans.
分手。was Queensland singer Audrey McMillan from her CD Shepherd of My Heart on Heart and Song with There Is a Saviour. Now to the Cambridge Singers directed by John Rutter as they sing one of John's compositions, the hymn 
eternal God.
Heart and Soul. Heart and Soul. Don Marsh and his chorus and orchestra brought our program today to a conclusion with the song Change My Heart, O God. Our speaker today was David Evans and this is Carla Evans, your host for today. If you've been blessed by Heart and Soul, why not drop us a line? Our email address is heartandsoulmusic at bigpond.com We have a website, it's heartandsoul.org.au Or you might like to write to this radio station in appreciation for them bringing us to you. Heart and Soul is an Australian program 